Good evening. We're in 1 John chapter 2. I believe we last time we left off at verse 11, so we are in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. And as we were talking before, there are themes to 1 John, to uh, all of John's writings, really. Uh, one is uh, agape love. Um, next is abiding, finding a good place and staying there. And you don't have to look any further because the place that you're at is perfect, abiding. Uh, light that illuminates and chases away darkness. And assurance. John wrote that you may know that you have eternal life. And lastly, the last thing he says is, little children, keep yourselves from idols, knowing Jesus in truth. But before we get into verse 12, uh, look at chapter 5, verse 13. I think we have to look at the question, why did John write this? You know, what was the purpose? What was God's purpose for giving these words to John that we would be hearing them? What, what does God want us to know through these writings of John? And it says it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to believers that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So that's the purpose. This, this is what, why God gave John these words and for us to hear them today, that we would know that we have eternal life beyond any doubt, and continue to believe in him. In spite of everything, continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. There are many things that we need living in this time in history. And I don't know if we fully realize the, the time that we are living in in history right now. It's very unique. We are so close to the end. And we need many things. More than ever, we need to be people of prayer. We need to be people in fellowship. We need to be uh, people of the word. And we, above all things, like we always say, we need to be praying constantly for the Holy Spirit, that the Lord would pour his spirit upon the church. We have many needs. And we need that assurance. In these days that we live in, with all the distractions and all the, the input and the winds blowing to and fro, we need that assurance to know that we have eternal life because that's our anchor. That's what gets us through, knowing that we have eternal life and that we continue to believe, you know, having that knowledge, having that assurance of eternal life and then continuing to believe in him, becoming more and more dependent on him as time goes on. Not less dependent, but more. Uh, more and more people of faith, more and more people separated from this world, that we continue to believe in him, that the work of God by the Spirit continues in our life, you know, in the life of a believer, once they have been saved and they continue, that we don't fall back uh, and that we don't stand still, that, that we keep going, that we keep getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Um, if you look in the Bible, the believing kings in the Bible, in the Old Testament, every king from David on down, the battles that they fought, they won. All the believing kings, pretty much, I think, won all their battles. And the odds were always against them. Uh, on paper, they shouldn't have won these battles. The enemy always looked stronger, and they always felt weak. But they won because the Bible says because they cried out to the Lord. They continued to believe. They became more dependent on the Lord. And, and they cried out to him. It says they, they won these battles, it says in the Old Testament, because they relied on the Lord their God. And that's part of continuing to believe in the name of the Son of God. That more and more we rely more and more on the name of the Son of God. We rely on him. We depend on him. Uh, some of those kings in the Old Testament, when they were overcome by the circumstances that they saw or that they were experiencing, they didn't rely on the Lord and they suffered loss. 
you get a chance, read 2 Chronicles chapters 13 through 16 is a good example of that. We tell the kids, the little kids in Sunday school concerning faith, we tell them that, that faith, as you continue to believe in Jesus, it means letting God take care of you. More and more becoming, in a sense, as a little child, as Jesus said. More dependent on him. We need to continue to believe, continue to grow in our knowledge of the truth, and continue to become more and more faithful. And that's not easy to do, especially in these times that we're living in. Uh, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the trials that we go through. Uh, continuing to believe is not an easy thing, but God is faithful. God is faithful. Uh, and it's going to become more, more and more difficult to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God because of the times that we're living in and because of the times that are going to be coming upon us. Uh, it's not just that the world has become more secular. It's the spirit of Antichrist has taken over, is spreading, and is becoming stronger. And it is going to become more difficult to continue to believe, to continue that dependence on Christ. It's going to become more difficult because of circumstances that we see and hear, because of personal trials, personal tragedies that happen in our lives. Sometimes it becomes difficult to continue to believe. Jesus said, be faithful unto death. Continue to believe. And it's not that our salvation is contingent on our progress or our growth. It's not, our salvation is not contingent on our continuing to believe and continuing to trust in him. And it's not that we will lose our salvation. We can't. Uh, but we can be rendered joyless, discouraged, and distant sometimes by things going on around us, by circumstances, by the times that we live in. But in order to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, we have to have that assurance, as John said. We have to know that we have eternal life. If we know that, we can, are able to continue to believe. And in order to have that assurance, we have to know grace. We have to know the grace of God. We know that all things are by the grace of God, and we, we know about the grace of God. We know all the doctrine. We know all the scriptures concerning the grace of God. And yet sometimes we can become discouraged. We can doubt. We can become fearful. Uh, we can feel condemned at times, even though we know these things. Grace is a hard concept to understand because there's nothing like it on earth. Uh, it's alien. Uh, is it mercy? Is grace mercy? Uh, is it something other than mercy? Is it something more than mercy? It, it's, it's a hard concept to grasp, mainly because this world that we live in now is totally performance-based. At work, if you perform, everybody loves you. If you don't perform, not so much. Uh, I was re look, watching a sports thing. I think it was like 50 guys had to be cut from the Bills roster because they didn't perform. It, it's, it's totally performance-based, even within families. If the expected performance isn't there, there can be disappointment, there can be discouragement, and there can be anger, even within families. It, it's hard for us to comprehend or to receive grace, yet it is essential, is absolutely essential, that we know grace, that we know the grace of God. In order that we know that we have eternal life and continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, it is essential that we know grace. And the definition of grace that we always hear is it is God's unmerited favor. And that's true, and that's a good definition. It is favor from God that we can't deserve and is totally unmerited. But it's hard to comprehend and explain the unexplainable, the grace of God, something that is so far beyond us. If we fully comprehended grace, if God were to open up our brains right now and our hearts and just give us a full revelation of his pure grace toward us, our heads would explode. We wouldn't be able to handle it. And yet it is essential that we grasp it, the concept of grace. And grace, the way I've been looking at it lately and the older I get, 
there are three words that have become more apparent the older I get. Become more apparent, more essential, and more comforting. And those three words are in spite of, like we sang tonight and, and Gina prayed, in spite of. You know, in spite of kind of has negative connotations sometimes. You know, okay, I'll do it in spite of you. Or I'm going to do it in spite of everything, whatever. But it's not a negative thing. It means, in accordance with grace, it means that something is going to be accomplished regardless of any or all obstacles, accomplished through and because of agape love. Everything we receive from God, every single thing that we can receive from God, blessings, heaven, eternal life, the love of God, being kept by God, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, peace with God, the peace of God, freedom from sin and death, being used for God's purpose, all these things that we can receive from God either happen because of us or in spite of us, or a mixture of both. And it's not because of us. I think we all realize that. It is definitely not because of us. And if anything is added to grace, then it's no longer grace. Therefore, it is in spite of us, and this is why we rejoice in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I've, I've come to love those three words, in spite of me. I mean, I, I can approach the throne of God freely. I can rejoice in him. I can ask him for things that are unmerited favor, in spite of me. Uh, there are blessings to be had because we obey God. But even that offer of goodness from God, that initial offer of goodness of uh, obey me and live, is in spite of us, is given in spite of us. We believe what God says in spite of everything that we hear, everything that we see, everything that we experience, and anything that we are unable to comprehend. We still believe what God says in spite of all those things. Bible says faith is the evidence of things not seen. We can see ourselves and we can see our circumstances and sometimes because of our failures or sometimes because of our circumstances it, it's hard for us to see Jesus. Jesus said blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. Those who believe in spite of that prayer that that man made to Jesus when he wanted Jesus to heal his son, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, is an honest prayer. We believe that we are loved by God. We take that for granted. We believe Jesus loves you. We believe that we are loved by God. Is it because of us or in spite of us? In spite of of our failures and in spite of the consequences of those failures, in spite of any guilt or shame, we can be confident that God is going to bless me and love me because it's in spite of me and only in spite of me and because of him, because of who he is. It happens because of the only one whom God has ever loved because of who that person is. It's because of Jesus. And there are going to be times in our lives we're all going to experience, we all, all probably have experienced, there's are going to be times in our lives when we're not even able to look up. You know, you hear that saying, he doesn't have a prayer. There, there are going to be times in our lives where we're going to feel that we don't have a prayer, that we can't even look up. There should never be a time when we feel that we can't approach the throne of God for the Christian because it's not because of us, it's in spite of us that we can approach the throne of God. There will be times when we don't feel joy, but joy isn't a feeling, happiness is a feeling. Happiness is when it's a nice sunny day. Joy is being in the midst of a storm, but knowing that the sun will eventually come out and you will live, that's joy. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. It's not dependent on our effort to acquire. It's in spite of us, it's because of Christ. It's why I have the audacity to come up here and stand in a pulpit and speak to God's people about the word of God and not have to fear being struck by a bolt of lightning. I don't think. We'll see. If I'm still up here at the end, it's in spite of me. 
Um, it's why we can rest in Christ. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's why we can rest, because we come to him in spite of us, and we rest in him. It's why we can always, no matter what, approach the throne. It's why we can expect to be blessed by the Father. We can expect to be blessed by God. It's why we pray in Jesus' name, because it's in spite of us and because of him. Sometimes we go through trials, we go through circumstances, and we try to read the word of God, and we go to Bible studies, and sometimes it seems like the word of God just kind of bounces off our hearts, and we're not comprehending it, we're not getting it. Think of Jairus in the New Testament, in the Gospel. The worst thing that could have happened to him happened. His only daughter is sick and near death. So he goes and he finds Jesus, and he finds Jesus and he says, come and lay your hands on her and she will be healed. He has faith. Jairus has faith. He's heard somehow about Jesus, seen his works, and he comes to Jesus for help. Lord, come and heal my daughter. And Jesus obviously must have told him something because he's going with him. They leave and they start heading towards Jairus's house. So Jesus must have said, okay, I will go and I'll lay hands on her. Jairus has heard the word of God. He's heard Jesus say, I'll go with you and I'll lay hands on you. And on the way, Jesus heals that woman who was bleeding internally. Jairus sees this and his faith is strengthened. He, he sees what God can do. You know, he sees the goodness of the Lord. His hope rises. His faith is strengthened. And they get there, and all is well. Jesus is with them. There's joy. There's hope in what God has said. And then that servant comes running out and says, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter is dead. The very life is sucked out of Jairus. You know, what does he have now? Does he have faith? Does he have joy? Does he have hope? He has nothing. He's emptied. He's probably crumpled on the ground. But Jesus leans over and says to him, don't be afraid. Only believe. Just believe. Continue to believe. Did those words mean anything to him at that moment? Could he even hear those words? Probably not. So overcome by grief. Jairus has nothing. He's been emptied. The only thing he has is the fact that the Son of God is standing next to him. And his daughter would be brought back to life, not because of Jairus, but because of the purpose of God. Caleb, in spite of everything he saw when the Israelites got to the promised land and God said to go in and they went and spied out the land and they saw that the land was full of giants and walled cities and it looked impossible. But Caleb, in spite of everything he saw, in spite of everything that he couldn't comprehend, you know, how can, I don't know how we're going to do this. These people are way stronger than we are and we're going to go into their land and invade them. You know, in spite of my fear, in spite of my doubt, in spite of the fact that I can't see how this is going to happen, I know what God has said, and I know what his purpose is, and it will be accomplished, not because of us, but in spite of us. So Caleb went in. Was there ever a time when you read the Bible, was there ever a time when God's purpose wasn't accomplished in spite of Israel? I don't think there was ever a time. Is there ever a time when God's purpose isn't accomplished us in us, in spite of us. No. David said in Psalm 27, he said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When fear, doubt, trials, discouragement, feelings of hopelessness come into our lives, and we all experience that. We experience the everyday things that happen to people in this fallen world. Trials, discouragement, sometimes we can feel hopeless. And our flesh can sometimes react like Mrs. Job did. Curse God and die. You know, we would never shake our fist at the sky, but we can become angry. There can be circumstances that come into our lives and we can become angry. You know, Lord, why? But how did God, Job dis respond? 
In Job 2.10, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He continued to believe in spite of everything that he experienced, in spite of. No one except Jesus was more emptied of everything, physically, spiritually, and emotionally than Job was. Yet in spite of everything that he experienced, everything that he saw, in spite of himself, he was brought to that place where he was able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. God promised David that his throne would be established forever, that the Messiah would sit on the throne of David. And in spite of David, and in spite of every king that came after him, in spite of all the idolatry that would cause the people to be exiled from the land, God's purpose of the Messiah sitting on the throne of David is going to be accomplished, in spite of everything. What God says is going to happen is going to happen in spite of us. And for those who believe in the one whom God has sent, the Bible says all the promises of God are amen to the glory of God. So when we're not feeling that joy, when, when, when we're not feeling that, that emotional thing, what do we do? We should praise him. We should praise him. What, what else is there to do? but praise him in spite of anything that we're feeling and anything that we are experiencing. You know, we may not feel like it. We won't feel like it. There's been many times where, you know, I just don't feel like it. But in spite of our circumstances, we can and should praise him. In spite of the truth of our unworthiness, we can praise him. We should just be thankful. We should be thankful people no matter what happens, no matter what we're experiencing, we should just be able to say, thank you, Lord, that I have hope. In spite of my emotions, in spite of what I'm experiencing, thank you, Lord, that I have hope. Because it's because of you and in spite of me that all the promises of God are amen to the glory of God. Now I can rejoice. Now I can serve. Now I can worship. And we can believe, serve, have joy, have assurance, have the love of God. We can expect to be blessed we can have confidence, how great it is for a Christian to have confidence in the Lord. We can have confidence for one reason, because it's guaranteed in Christ, and it's in spite of us. So we can wake up every morning, and we should be rejoicing, because we can expect to be blessed. Even though it looks dark, we can expect to be blessed. If it was because of us, there's no way that we could have confidence. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Know that you have eternal life. Continue to believe in the name of the Son of God in spite of everything, in spite of ourselves, because of Jesus. So, 1 John Chapter 2, verse 12. John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. John would also write, I'm writing that your joy may be full. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. In Psalm 32, David wrote, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit, no guile. Is there a better offer anywhere in the universe? Is there a better offer in heaven or on earth to be able to stand before the creator of the universe the judge of all the world, the judge of the earth, who has given us his commandments, and his commandments are final and they're true, and I've broken every one of them, but to be able to stand before the judge of all the earth to whom we are accountable and to have all my sins forgiven. To not have your iniquity imputed against you. What else do we need? 
to not be condemned in the judgment, but welcomed into the kingdom in spite of us? Do we need anything else? You know, when Jesus at the Last Supper, he got up and he started washing the disciples' feet. And Peter said, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. Pride. He wasn't able to receive grace. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And Peter said, well, then, Lord, wash my head and my hands. Wash every part. And Jesus said to him, you are already clean. You are clean. We are clean. God declares it. Psalm 16 says, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You know, are, are we able to receive that? You know, are we able to look up to heaven and say with total confidence, God delights in me, and not have to duck down because the lightning bolt is coming? God delights in me. Can we say that? And we can. Because in Psalm 147, it says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. The Lord takes pleasure in those who hope in his mercy. He delights in us because we're hoping in his mercy. And the receiving that offer to stand in the judgment, to be able to stand before God, clean, pure, justified, welcomed into the kingdom, is just a prayer away. It's, it's, just, it's for the asking. It's for the believing, and it's for the asking. You know, how can anybody not at least consider it? Verse 13, he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. The fathers, the, the elders, the older people in the church, the mothers, the fathers. You know, what a blessing it is for someone to get to an old age and know that they have a future, to know that they're going to be living in forever. You know, you hear elderly people say, there's more behind me than in front of me. And in this life, I'm, I can say that. There is definitely more behind me than there is in front of me. But for the believer, it's not true. Because there is way more ahead of us than behind us. Way more ahead of us. Joy and comfort, not in looking back, but be able to say, I know him. At a young age and an old age. Just to be able to say, I know God. Everyone has cherished memories and life experiences. And as people get older, they love to share those things. I can remember staying with my grandparents, and they would love just to tell stories about their youth and, and talk about their memories and things that happened to them, life experiences, so many experiences and memories, and how great to have that, to be able to look back on our lives and, and smile because of the memories that we have of people we've known and everything but how joyful and essential it is to have something more than that, to have something more than the past. Someone wrote, we are comforted in remembering, are sobered that the past is gone, are hopeful that there is now only forever. In the Bible, when it talks about the men and women of the Bible and when they were ready to go home to heaven, it says that they were old and full of days. You know, what a great saying that is, old and full of days. They've experienced everything that life has to throw at them, all the joys, all the good things, and all the tragic things, and yet they're going on to forever. They, they knew their God, and they continued to believe in him. The Bible says in Psalms, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. I think of that woman, Anna, in the uh, New Testament. It, it said that she did not depart from the temple, but served God daily with prayers and fasting, night and day. This woman just stayed in the temple. You know, what a glorious place to be. How, you know, how great, what a joy it must have been just to be able to stay in that temple and just pray and just know that the presence of God is there. We don't have a temple to, to dwell in, to be near to God, but we have something closer and something much more intimate. We have entered the Holy of Holies by the blood of Christ. We are not only in the temple, we're in the most holy place. It says, 
that they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. You know, there are few things in this world that speak of the reality of Christ more than an elderly person who has that spark of life. Have you ever met someone who is old, and they, an old Christian, and, and they just got that spark? You know, on the outside, it's old. But on the inside, it, it's young. You know, I, I remember seeing an interview a long time ago. Somebody was interviewing Corey Ten Boom. And this interviewer, this guy, he was a really young guy, and she was, like, old. And it was just, I remember I couldn't stop watching it because she, she was, it was just like she was younger than he was. She just had this spark. I mean, she was funny. Uh, she was just so alive. You know, you know, how glorious it is to get to that age, to know that you have eternal life, and think of all the things that she went through, and to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Someone who was planted in the house of the Lord. Isaiah 46 says, Even to your old age I am he, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry you and will deliver you. Boy, what a hopeful scripture that is for us as we get older. Ezekiel 33 says, Moses says, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Not just know about, but know personally. You know, what a glorious thing it is to see a young person in the Sunday school and you know that they're born again. You can tell. And you know that, they're, that they've got their whole life and forever ahead of them. The older, get, the older you get, you start to lose things. Hair, uh, a flat stomach, uh, career, health, people. You start to lose things. Everything that we can see in this life eventually disappears. Everything that we can see. But for those who are born again, a glorious thing happens. Like Job said, he said, I heard of you with my ear, but now I see you with my eye. I've heard of you, but now I see you. You know, he went from place to place. Job heard of God. He was blessed by God. You know, this hearing of God, it speaks of our relationship with him. You know, we're saved and we follow him. Job was blessed by God. He had family, he had wealth, he had position, he had renown. He knew his God. He sacrificed to his God. He depended on his God. We hear of God, so to speak, and praise and worship him. But the hearing part is more than just hearing. It's hearing the word of God and responding in our lives. Hearing what God says and responding to it. It's when we walk in his goodness active, living our lives, taking steps of faith, serving him and thanking him for all his goodness. Hearing of him is when we walk and follow him. We see God when we can't walk anymore and Jesus has to carry us. When did Job see God? When all that could be seen was gone. Then he saw God. Now, no one in their right mind would want to experience what Job did. I much prefer comfort and easy and uh, stress-free, and I will opt for that every time. But to some degree, what happened with Job is going to happen to every single person on earth, to some degree. And it's going to happen to all of us, because God desires us to see him. He does, you know... We want to hear of him, we want to serve him, but God desires that we see him. When, tempor when temporary things are stripped away, and they will be, those who are found in Christ will see God. He goes on, he says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Overcome. In Revelations, it says, to the one who overcomes, in all the letters to the churches, he keeps saying, to him who overcomes, overcomes death, sin, flesh, unbelief. Many people are found in Christ, and some people are found with Christ. 
Revelations 2.26 says, He who overcomes and keeps my works, keeps my works till the end. To him I will give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who overcomes and keeps my works. It is our faith in Christ that overcomes, John would say. It's our faith in Christ. Those of faith are given works to do. It says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. We are given works to do. He says, keep my works to the end. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice he says, keeps the he who keeps my works to the end. You know, is he talking about the works that he gives us to do? Yes. Is he talking about the work that he does in us? I think even more so. We are his workmanship. The works that God desires to do in us and through us. Works are doing what God says to do and not doing what God says not to do. James said, faith without works is dead. All the kings in the Old Testament, all the good kings, all the believing kings, it says the same thing about all of them. It says, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Treasure the word of God and walk in the spirit. And if we treasure the word of God, if that is our treasure, we will walk in the spirit. We'll find ourselves walking in the spirit. In John, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. In the world, tribulation. In Christ, peace. You know, we tell the kids in Sunday school that your life is like a book. And, you know, here's where you were born. Here's where you went to school. Here's where you got married. And it goes on in your life. And there's good times in this book, and there's really bad times in this book. But for those who believe in Jesus, it's always a happy ending. Always. Guaranteed. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John also said, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? He or she who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has come. He goes on. He says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Now he writes to the little children. And John called the people in the church his little children. That was the relationship that he had with them. That's how he viewed them. But we need to pray for our children. Pray constantly for our children, that they would go to Jesus, that they would come to him that parents would be able to bring their children to Christ and they would go to him. Pray that the prodigals would come to themselves and come home. Pray for the children that at this time in their lives that is most valued by the Lord, that they would know him, even as little children. Verse 14, he says, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. It's the same message to every age group. There is no age group with God. A child of five can enter into the same relationship with God as an 80-year-old person can, maybe even more so. Because Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. The things that lead to and cause us to lay hold of eternal life are open to all people, regardless of any age and regardless of any differences between us. People are fighting for equality, and that's a good thing. It'd be nice if there was equality, but it's never going to happen on this earth because there will always be an oppressor of some sort. Only in Christ are we one in him. Is there equality? 
and abides. Uh, the word of God abides in you, he said. It speaks of something more than just knowing. You know, it speaks of, uh, of the word of God living in us, like planted in our hearts. In the Psalms, David said, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. We have always in this church been exhorted over and over and over again to be in the word of God, to be in the word of God. It's our anchor. Read the word of God. These are the words of the creator of the universe. But we live in strange times. We live in those times today where it's becoming more and more difficult to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. We're living in strange times. Like in Matthew 24, Jesus said, nation will rise against nation. And that word nation means people. In the context, it means that there are going to be tribes of people within a nation that are going to rise up against each other. And he goes on, he talks about kingdom against kingdom and famines and pestilences and earthquakes and being delivered up. Uh, you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended and will betray one another. Many false prophets will rise up. And in verse 12 of this, of this passage, he says, and because, of lawless, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I mean, it seems like we're experiencing that today. Law, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. It'll be, it's going to become difficult to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. We need to be aware of what, of what we are going to be seeing in this world and what we're experiencing now. But it talks about enduring and overcoming. And those who know that they have eternal life and those who continue to believe in the name of the Son of God endure and they overcome. Because of our faith, we have issues, social issues that we are concerned of. We, know, we hear about all the politics going on and all the unrest and everything that's going on and we speak out and we vote. Hopefully we vote. Uh, I heard a statistic, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that 25 million evangelical Christians are not registered to vote. That's an election right there. You know, I'm not saying that we should be unaware of the times. You know, how can we not be unaware of the times? Living in this information, I, I've quit watching the news, and yet there's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. We know what kind of times we're living in. Uh, somebody said, what is going on today is more than about morality. It's about defining reality. And that's true. If you, if you look at what's going on today, it's not just about morality anymore. It's about actually defining reality. Uh, but there's something that we should consider with all that's swirling on around us and all the input that we have in this information age. We have to be careful not to be overcome by evil. And this information, you know, in this information age, sometimes we can get like, it can be like you go to, the, to a doctor and the doctor says, you have a disease and it looks like it's terminal. Here's your x-rays. Look at them. So you look at the x-rays and you say, yeah, it looks bad. This is, this is bad. And you look at the x-rays. And he says, but here's a book of remedies that if you read this book, there's stuff in here that can save you. So you take your x-rays home and you take the book home and you occasionally open the book, but you spend most of your time looking at the x-rays. And I think that's where we can get sometimes. You know, how long before, if you do that, do you become despondent and despairing? We have the book. We have the word of God. We have the book of remedy. You know, you can't tell anybody to stop watching the news or anything, but it's something to consider. It's something to consider. To put the x-rays away. To, to turn off CNN and Fox and turn off the Democrats and the Republicans, and turn off all the talking heads on the left and all the talking heads on the right, and to whatever degree that we are able and willing to do it, just to turn it off and pick up the Bible and hear what God says. And when we do that, it's amazing, because something happens when we do that. When we're not overcome by the x-rays and we're in the book, things happen. One of the things that happened 
happens is that verse about the peace that passes all understanding actually happens in our lives. We find peace coming back to us. Another thing that happens is that we see the people around us as fellow human beings for whom Christ died. And we also begin to see tokens for good in the grace of God towards people. Our, our quality of life is improved. The more time we spend at the feet of Jesus and less time looking at the x-rays of our disease, our quality of life is improved. The Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. Hear what God says. And the word of God, it's not all peaches and cream. You know, sometimes it's a hug from a loving father, and sometimes it's a kick in the pants from a loving father. But it's the word of God, and we need the word of God to abide in us, to live in us, to be planted in our hearts by the Spirit, and to have fruit grow from that by the Spirit. The Bible says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Hebrews, it says, for the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. There has to be a result. There has to be a response. Something happened. There has to be fruit in our lives. As Jesus said, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Anyone who has tasted the heavenly gift and thinks that because of grace that they're free to indulge the flesh, I don't think there's a more dangerous position that a person can be in. God says all through the word, all through the word, obey my voice, be doers of the word. James says, lay aside all filthiness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Jesus said in Luke, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Why aren't you doing what you're hearing? And he speaks about the man and the house on the rock and the house on the sand, those who hear and do what I say and those who hear and don't do what I say. And the ruin of that house was great. Jesus also said in John, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In Ezekiel, God says, indeed, you are to them, speaking of Ezekiel, a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words but they do not do them. And I know that our desire, I know the desire of everybody here and my desire and all those born again, we want to obey God. It's not that we have to. We want to. We want to do what the word of God says. But hearing comes first. David said, trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delight. He said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God, if we don't love the word of God, we're not going to do it. We have to be in that place where we just love the word of God. If we aren't reading the word of God for just the pure joy of being at the feet of Jesus and hearing his voice and having the spirit minister to us, we'll never be doers of the word. You know, I don't want this to sound flippant, but if we're not reading the word of God for the pure enjoyment of it, we're not going to be doers of it. Uh, if the word of God is a to-do list, if it becomes a to-do list to us, we're never going to be doers of the word. When Mary, in the Bible, when she came and sat at Jesus' feet, she didn't sit at his feet and say, okay, Lord, now give me a list of things to do. She was a woman who, being filled with joy, just sat at the feet of Jesus and heard the Son of God speak. Martha had a to-do list. You know, Lord, I, I've got my to-do list here, and Mary's not doing anything. Uh, she's just sitting in here listening to you. And Jesus said to her, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the best thing, and it won't be taken away from her. Amazing statement. One thing is needed. There are a lot of things needed. 
<clears throat> excuse me, we need to be people of prayer. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be lights of the world. We need to witness. Uh, we need to serve. But, and yet Jesus said one thing is needed, to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his voice. And everything else springs from that. <clears throat> In view of the mercies of God, we need to pray for a willing heart to be a doer of the word. In order to do, we have to want to do it. And sitting at his feet causes us to have a willing heart. So how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place where <clears throat> we are just loving the word of God? And where it's the best part of our day. Where we take the time to do it. First of all, we have to take the time to do it. Uh, Mary had to leave the kitchen, had to leave Martha, sneak out from the to-do list, and walk into the room, fight her way to the front, and sit. We need to pick up the word and pray, 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 pray. We need to put aside all resolutions and vows, put aside all past failures of not doing, and in spite of us, and because of Jesus, we can sit at the feet of the Lord and hear his voice. We can hear the voice of God in spite of us. The Bible says, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. It's just, Lord, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And then we do it. And everything else spreads from that. And keeping in mind those three words, in spite of us. That's why we can do it. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, that it's because of you. And we just pray, Lord, that you would bring us back to you, Lord, every single day. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. Fill us with your love, and uh, we can never thank you enough. We don't have the words to thank you enough for your goodness toward us, Lord. And as we have said a million times tonight, it's in spite of us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.